We are in a series called Devotions right now where we're applying and exploring the Bible. And if you're just with us today for the first time or if you're watching online, what we're doing is we're actually following in the one-year Bible, uh, the Tyndale version, and we're taking the past week's uh, readings and we're actually teaching on it on Sunday mornings. And so you're able to follow up. You want to pick up right in the month that we're in, right here in October. So if you want to get started in the one-year Bible, make sure you start right now uh, on today's date. You don't want to start all the way in the beginning. And uh, like Pastor Jordan said last week, for those of you who started in the beginning and fell off the map, welcome back to the Bible. It's, it's great to be in. And so we're really using that as a tool. And as we explore the Bible, there's a couple scriptures that remind us of the power of the Word of God that I want to read to you. Out of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit of the joints of, and of the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Now, we, we, this is a big deal because uh, Jesus basically tells us that man or woman, human beings can't live off of bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so we have to be reminded that the word of God is powerful, uh, that, we, that we need the word of God in our lives. I don't know about you, but I have to remind myself that I'm limited within my own power and I have to have the word of God to sustain me. How many of you have gone a long time without a word from God? Now, you don't have to raise your hand. And, and, and that's why God tells us that we can't live only on bread alone. A part of the motivation of this series is that you guys would be inspired to get a word from God, that you would be inspired to dig into the scriptures and allow it to transform your life because it, it is the power of God. That, that lights our path. The word is like a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And so we need it. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And so this is a picture of, of what the Word of God wants to do in our lives as individuals, but we have a part to play in it. We, we have to approach the Word of God by faith, all right? Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things that are not yet seen. We serve an invisible God. Come on, we serve an invisible God, but his attributes are clearly seen by creation and the things that he's made, and he's given us the Word to... Uh, change our lives to lead us and direct us, and we need his word. And, and I think that I, I, I really feel that, that the Holy Spirit wants to do something in your life, in your family's life, an individual, and produce that hunger for his word and his presence. The psalmist said that my soul pants after you, Lord, like a deer pants after the water. I'm hungry for you. I'm desperate for you. I need you in every circumstance. I need you when I'm up high. I need you when I'm down low. I need you when I'm all over. God, you are the sustainer of my life, and I need you to lead me. I need you to guide me, and I need you to direct my path. I need you to take control, God. You're sovereign. I want to agree with you, and I want to follow you, and I'm hungry to discern that. We, we, we've got to be hungry and lean in to discern the will of God for our lives that's in Christ Jesus. 
and it's an individual thing. And what's so wonderful is we walk it out corporately and we're here to encourage one another as we see the day of death approaching, as we see the end approaching. We, we, we need to challenge one another. Come on, somebody. We, we need to sharpen one another a little bit so that, that, so that we are strengthened together as, as, a, as a body, as a church. And so... I don't know about you, but I need the word of God. It's, more, it's not about a message series. We're just, we're just packaging things together. It's about the word that sustains us, all right? You, you get the heart, everybody? So if you're interested in studying your Bible, we've got a picture there, just some quick tools that we use, uh, that you can use. It's really elementary tools, but if you take a picture of that, we got it on the screens. Well, we're gonna put it on the screens for you. Uh, Bible study tools right there. There it is. Take a picture of it. Uh, it's something that I'm gonna use throughout this message as well. We're using this type of, uh, these hermeneutics, if you were, these interpretation tools uh, to study the Bible. And uh, I took uh, my ESV study Bible out this week because that's one of our uh, references is the ESV study Bible. And I read some commentary and it really helped me in the scriptures. And I'm gonna show you how that works today because I wanna practically demonstrate what you can do in your devotional life, kind of what Pastor Jordan set up for us last week. And when you're doing your devotion lights, there's three questions that you wanna ask yourself. It might be something you put in a journal. It might be something you just write on the side of the Bible. But the three questions are, what do I learn about God, number one? Number two, what do I learn about people? And then number three, what does God want me to do? Because I think God wants us to do things. And so when we learn something about God and we see how it's playing out in people's lives in the Bible, then it's gonna contextualize to our lives where we can have some action steps. And I think that's, what, that's good. I think action steps are good. And so what we're gonna do is pick up in Philippians from this past week's readings and, uh, but before we do that, I actually just opened up a plain ESV study Bible before I read in Philippians this week. Those readings, by the way, in the one-year Bible are about 15 minutes. Now, if you're a slow reader like me, you know, it's going to take you about 30 minutes. Now, you know how some of you guys are, you read about three or four verses and then that dog starts barking and you get up and you walk outside and you open the window and then you go out in the yard and you're digging in the fence and trying to see what's going on. That's kind of like me sometimes. Anybody else like that? All right, I feel like I'm, I'm right here down on earth then. But I opened up the study Bible to get a little help because I need help. And so I said, let me see what it says about Philippians. So at the beginning, typically, of every study Bible, it's going to give you a summary of the book. And so the author of Philippians is the Apostle Paul while imprisoned in Rome. And some believe he's on house arrest and not just with the technological bracelets we have, but with a Roman guard looking at you, you know, so house arrest. The date was around 8061, about 31 years after Jesus' death. Uh, the main theme of the, of the book of Philippians is encouragement. And Paul wanted to encourage the Philippians to live out their lives as citizens of a heavenly colony, as evidenced by their growing commitment to service to God and to one another. That, that was the theme of the book that he was writing while he was under house arrest. Uh, the purpose of the book was Paul himself wanted to encourage the Philippians in their faith and in his imprisonment. It meant that he could do only that through the letter. So the reason he was writing this letter and didn't go visit them in person, he was imprisoned. Uh, even on house arrest, uh, he was in a great source of uh, anguish. Uh, and he particularly, he thought that execution was looming. So he figured, you know, it could be his last 
dance, if you would. You know what I mean? So this is how this guy lived, by the way, if you study the, the Pauline epistles and the letters to the church and you study the history. And this guy, man, it was any day now. Any day now, they're going to kill me, basically. But Paul wanted to assure the church that he was still in good spirits through his faith in Christ, even though death was looming over. He was also eager to thank them for their continued support. And imprisonment at the time carried a social stigma in that particular uh, era, and it would have been easy for the Philippians to turn their back on Paul because he was in prison, but they remained faithful and began to support him through prayers and through financial means and, and other things. And so that kind of gives you a really quick summary of what's going on. And so let's pick up right in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, this is Paul writing to the church, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and I long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So here, you know, he's, he's in prison. He says, stand firm thus in the Lord. Verse 2, I entreat Udiah and I treat Sentishe to agree in the Lord. So he's talking about two people, two women there that were laboring together. Verse 3, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. There's a lot of scriptures there. And so here's a guy writing, basically chained to a Roman guard, this epistle to the church there in Philippi. And so when we're reading this text and we're looking at it, the first question basically is, what did I learn about God? Well, it's evident that God is the only source of real peace. That's the first thing we learn about God. Now, that's amplified. Now, see, that right there is amplified when you read the summary in the beginning of the chapter. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you might have not known he was under a, a, a prison guard. Some of you might know that death was looming right over his head. Today was his day of execution when he was writing this. So God is his only source of peace. There was no source. There was nothing else for him. And that's amplified. I mean, we see it in Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's a big thing, in Christ Jesus. Because within yourself, there is no peace. I don't know about you, but if they're about to chop my head off and I'm pinning maybe my last letter and I'm talking about peace, I surely have tapped into something outside of myself. You with me? You know, we, you hear the word peace tossed around a lot. I mean, that word peace has been around. I mean, it really blew up in the 60s and the 70s, right? And, and, and we've thrown that word around many, many times uh, for centuries. 
And so, you know, we talked about a couple of Bible study tools that you can use when you're reading the Bible and just reading verses like that. And, and one thing you can do is a word, word study. And you can take a word like peace and you can open up a concordance and kind of see what that word actually was meant before it was translated into English. You know, what, what was the meaning in Greek? And so that's what I did for you. So the original Greek word used here for peace defined by Strong's concordance as one or quietness or rest. It gives a picture of giving over or a blissfully relaxing much like the carefree sleep of a child who has no worries because all their concerns are handled. So I imagine Paul the apostle here before the prison guard, the, the, he's about to you know, get chopped up potentially. He's writing this letter to Philippians. And he yawns and he asks the guard, what's for lunch? <laughs> you know, Paul the apostle said, for me to die is gain, but for me to live is Christ in fruitfulness. And I'm kind of torn in between the two today. I'm, matter of fact, if I aggravate this guard a little bit more, he might kill me on the spot. I'm excited about that. You know what I mean? Basically, because that's what Paul said, for me to die is gain. And for me to live is Christ and fruitfulness. But it's better for me to live for you, is what he said, because I got some more work to do among you. But if I die, hey, I'm excited about it, and, and I think you can only get that if you understand Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? And some of you might not be under a prison guard, but some of you might be under a, a, a diagnosis right now. You know what I mean? Now, what I did right there was I contextualized that to some of your lives. Didn't say Paul was under that, but he was on the diagnosis of the sentencing of death. Some of you are under a health diagnosis, and you're like, man, what do I, what do, I do? What, what's going on? God's our only source of real peace. Nothing else. You know, Paul's state, we thought about it. Roman officer was guarding him. Possible execution was awaiting him. God's only source, God was his only source, because genuine peace is totally spiritual. Because it sources God, not outward conditions. And what we want and what I want, I don't know about you, I want outward conditions to be removed and then walk in peace. Don't you? No, ain't nobody like pain in here, you know? Nobody likes pain. And typically our first prayers when we pray are, God, please remove this pain. And, we, and we, we hate the pain, and, and we panic in the pain, and, and we scream and holler in the pain, and we say things maybe we don't want to say in the pain. And, and our faith is tested in the pain. Your faith is tested in the pain, right? The faith is tested in the trial. And, and what we got to realize is it's the outward condition, no matter if it changes or not, genuine peace is spiritual because it might not change sometimes. That, that's, that's the thing. You know what I'm saying? That, 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 that's why we don't really preach the prosperity gospel because, you know, it doesn't line up to the pers person who's dying. But you know what's prospering when the person who's dying in faith is? My soul is at rest. For me to die is gain and Christ is fruitfulness. Once we have a reality that our life is but a vapor here on earth, it's, just, it's literally a blink of the eye. How many people do we have in the room right now watching online, probably not, maybe 65 and older? 
60 and older. Isn't life but just a, it's just, you know, the older you get, the, the more you understand the brevity of life. And so I don't know what's going to happen in this life. I'm not sure what's going to go on in the trajectory of all my decisions. And by the way, I want to expose the old, the old thing that we try to live on all the time, that hindsight's 2020. I wish I could have done better. Now, there's ways that we could have lived better. There's things that, that we can repent of. Look, Paul the Apostle had Christians murdered. Jesus got a hold of him by a miracle. His eyes were opened up. He became an apostle uh, for Jesus Christ and began to plant churches and preach the gospel. And he said, I have to forget those things which lie behind because there's a calling now, and it's an upward calling so that I can keep projecting the gospel forward. And we have to rely on the peace of God to do that at times, or we will be paralyzed by the pain. You get paralyzed. And, and that's not where God wants you, you know. And so, you know, looking at that scripture there in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, if you look in your study Bible, down the center column, there's these things called cross-references. So that's what I did. I went to some cross-references where it's just going to cross-reference that scripture in other uh, books of the Bible. Which, by the way, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. All right? It'll authenticate itself. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 27, a cross-reference, peace I leave you, or peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, not as the systems here give, not as human philosophy gives, not as human intellect gives, not how much you can drum up. He said, my peace I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I thought about, you know, when we were singing that song, that last song about Jesus on the cross, you know, I... I literally, because I knew I was going to preach this, obviously, so I was sitting there, I was thinking, dear God, you know what I mean? <clears throat> the, 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 the stress and the fear or the anxiety that would try to take over Christ, the human side of Christ, you know what I mean? 100% man, 100% God, but he felt everything that we would feel. And, and it said that it, it was so much pressure that he sweat drops of blood. Scientists have done studies about this where the collapse, whatever, uh, you, I'm not that smart. What do you call it? <laughs> Capillaries, yeah. Thank you, guys. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, and, and they would they burst, you know what I mean? And he bleeds out of his head, and, and it scientifically can happen. And I thought, dear God. But he said, nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. This, this is trust. This is, a, this is peace I leave you because I model peace. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3 says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. That's That's how. Our mind is stayed upon him because we trust him. That's why our mind stayed upon him. By the way, you have to get your mind on him. Now, I know we want magic. You know what I mean? Like, <clears throat> just pray for me and pray for my mind. And I believe in prayer, and I'm not putting prayer down. I believe in prayer, and I believe God can do miracles. But some things we got to do. Pray for me. Just, I want my mind to stay on Christ all the time. Just pray for me, and it's going to happen. And you get prayer, and it don't happen. You know why? Because you got to make it happen. God gave us the power over our mind. You know, here's a commentary from this verse. So there's a couple cross-references. Here's a commentary uh, right there out of the ESV that I was, I was uh, referring back to. You can re read it. It says, because God is sovereign and in control, 
Christians can entrust all their difficulties to him who rules over all creation and who is wise and loving in all his ways. Good commentary, huh? God's peace guards our hearts and minds as we trust in him, basically, is what he was saying there. So, so you know, when we're, when we're thinking about God there, we realize that he is our source of peace. There's a lot of other things you can pull out of that scripture, but that, to me, is the biggest idea from those verses. But in the letter, Paul doesn't just talk about the peace that's found in God, but he also talks about, essentially, the peace that we need to have in our relationships. Didn't he? What do I learn about people? Think about it. What did I learn about people? I learned that God's the source of peace. What did I learn about people? Philippians 4.2 says, I entreat, we'll just call her E and her S. I'll tre- entreat E and S to agree in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. It says that your relationships are fragile and need maintenance. Our relationships are fragile and need maintenance. I can say that over again. Your marriage relationship is fragile and needs maintenance. Come on, somebody. Your relationship with your kids are fragile and needs maintenance. Your relationship with that person in your group or that person in the church is fragile and needs maintenance. That's right. We got to do it. Why, did you, why do we got to do it? Because we, we got to do it. He said agree in the Lord. That word agree, if you look it up, it's, the, it's a Greek word and it means unity in Jesus. It means being of the same mind for the sake of the gospel, not for your sake. If it was for your sake, you know what I mean? You'd slap them around. Some of you wouldn't. Some of you more sophisticated would send them an email. You know what I'm talking about? Others would just jab on social media. You know what I mean? Others would just get it on. I mean, UFC, you know what I mean? Day. But no, 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 no. We don't, we don't. Our relationships are fragile in need of maintenance. They're going to go through ups and they're going to go through downs. You know, a wonderful tool that God uses to purify us is relationships. Absolutely. My wife, my wife is a wonderful woman, and, and we have a great marriage. But guess what? God's done a lot of work in my life through that marriage. She's like looking at me, what's she about to say? We've been married for 17 years, and we're happily married. That's right. Yeah. Hey, we, we got a lot more to go now. You know the old stat, the new stats is coming out. After 20 years, 25 years, she left him. After 30 years, they went on and looked for another like, no, not here. Not today. <laughs> we, ain't, we ain't going there, right? But our relationships are fragile and they need maintenance. That's one thing that we learn about people. What else do we learn about people? Well, we're apt to worry when we look to the natural rather than the spiritual. We're apt to worry. I mean, we're going to worry when we look at the things. When we start, we're just going to worry when we're thinking about this life and all that. We're just going to worry. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're always going to have something to worry about. You know, Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything. Why did he say that? Because we're apt to worry. We're apt to worry. You know, we just worry, man. We're going to find something to worry about. We're going to look for something to worry about. We're going to analyze something to worry about. And if there ain't nothing to worry about, we're going to worry about worrying. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? 
they don't get my money, they're coming from my house, my wife, my dog, my kids, my business, it's coming. And it can turn into fear. And what happens is we fail to trust God completely. And so we're not operating in faith anymore. We're operating in fear. And sometimes you're like the frog in the frying pan. And you've been operating in fear for quite some time and you didn't even realize it. But when we get alone with God like we did right there in worship and, he, and, and, and the Holy Spirit says, just shows us a few things and we realize, oh my God, I've been operating in fear. I, 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 I'm operating under the curse, if you would, of sin and death. No, no, no. I'm not going to fear in Jesus' name. And so, we, you know, we, our, we're going to worry when we look to the natural rather than the supernatural. And circumstances and situations of all kinds must be faced with unwavering faith. And by the way, when I say unwavering, it doesn't mean that you're like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like literally feel this charge. Your wavering faith might be barely being able to, Jesus, help me. I can barely even think of what to pray. That's unwavering faith. That's as much unwavering faith as it is to someone seeming like that they've got faith the size of a football field. Jesus said just a little bit of a mustard seed of faith is good enough. That's right. And so sometimes it's a mustard seed. Sometimes it just doesn't feel like a lot of faith, but God sees that. What else do we learn about? We're apt to worry, but what else? We're apt to worry when we expect more out of this natural life than God has promised. Hey, look, we all want dreams to unfold, but life doesn't deal us the exact cards and it doesn't come in ways that we think it should come in. And yeah, we want to be successful and man, we want to have a good job or we want to, we, we want to make a good income or we, might, we want to make an impact in society or we have a vision to do this or we have a vision to do that. And we're set forth in that and all of a sudden we get blown over by trials. You know what I'm talking about? All kind of things, obstacles of all kinds. You know, I told my wife yesterday we're, we're heading to Lowe's to pick up something. And I said, I don't know about you. We're still young. I mean, gee whiz, we're 44. I'm 45. Is that about how old I am? 44, something like that. You know, <laughs> I told you guys, I don't keep up. I don't care. You know what I mean? They just tell me my birthday's coming up. And I'm like, all right, sounds good to me. But I'm like, dude, we're not even 50 yet. And we're on our way to Lowe's. And I said, look, uh, and I told my mom, I said, no matter what, it's three, it's the three, three times. I'm going to go to Lowe's, get something wrong, come back, pick it up, forget the wrong thing, go back and go back again. And I'm 44, so I'm scared. You know what I'm talking about? I am. I'm like, Lord, am I not renewing my mind enough here? You know, what's going on? Uh, but, but that's what happens to us. And, and all these things, and things don't work out like they thought that, like we thought they should. And, and uh, people don't show up like we thought they were going to show up. And, and, and what I prayed and what I declared didn't actually come into full fruition. And all of a sudden, this thing is tested called life. And then what we got to realize is how much expectation do we actually have on this lifetime? Think about it. I mean, what is your expectations on this short time on earth, which no one knows their day of death, by the way. Q, you know, I don't know when I'm going to die. You know what I mean? I hear a lot about this and a lot about that. And, man, you better save up here. And, you know, I'm saving and it's good. But you go to this and this. I don't even know if I'm going to be alive when I'm 70, everybody. I got to get up today and do something. And so I'm, not, I'm just being real with you guys. I'm just, it's just the way I am. And so that's just it. We're apt to worry when we put more stock on this life than we should. That's really what it boils down to. And that's what the Philippians were doing. We're like them. Come on. 
Life's not giving us the hand we want, and then we allow our situations and our circumstances to override what the Word of God's wanting to do in our life, and that actually becomes a, a, a micro-idol, where we're idolizing these efforts on earth versus what God wants to do in us, because things are going to go wrong. Jesus said it in John chapter 16, verse 33, if we look at the cross-references, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace, in the world you'll have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Tribulation every person will have, by the way. It's part of this program. It's part of this lifetime. Ain't nobody like it. Ain't nobody want it. But it is what it is. But Jesus shows us how to walk through it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll wear, what you drink, nor about your body, what you put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Meaning there, there's more than life than this, guys. There, there's more of life than this. I, we were created for fellowship and worship with our creator. So we're learning a lot about people. We're worrying about the wrong things. You know what I'm talking about? Our relationships need maintenance. Man, we're in a mess. But we also learn that we have a process to actually reach this real peace that Jesus is talking about. We have a process. He kind of lays it out in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, right? He says, be anxious, don't be anxious about anything, but instead, right? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So we have a process. The process is prayer. It's, it's, it's a lifestyle of worship. Worship's prayer, prayer's worship. That's what we did right here in the beginning of the room, man. We were praying, we were worshiping. We, it, it was all one, man. He, he said, be anxious about nothing, but in everything, prayer, communion with God, right? Taking our focus off of this earth onto God. And it says supplications, make your requests known to God. God hears your prayers. You can request things. You can petition God. You can go before the throne of grace boldly. And you can say anything to God. You can pray anything to God. We see it. We see the psalmist. Read the book of Psalms. One day he's like, nah. The next day it's like, man, it's great. That's how we live sometimes as people. Just pray. Just talk to God. Bring your request known to God with thanksgiving. So what we're saying is, God, I'm bringing you my request. I'm living a life of worship because ultimately I believe you're God. That's why I'm doing that, and I can rest in that and be solidified in that. That's why I, he said do it all with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is, a, is an attitude of heart, and we're thankful because God is with us. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's how you have, the, uh, uh, that's how you have gratitude. And I'm not talking about the gratitude that, look, there's a, there's a certain type of gratitude. Look, thankfulness in general makes a person better. We know that. We know that psychologists and neuroscientists have studied the effects of gratitude on people's lives. I mean, they create gratitude journals and all that. And if you live a life of gratitude, your life actually is better psychologically and emotionally. We know that from a science standpoint. But God right here, he, he wasn't talking about that. He was talking about my thankfulness is that Jesus is with me and he'll never leave me nor forsake me. And I'm thankful because of that. And because of that, I can walk through every fiery trial. I can walk through every circumstance. I can walk through every tribulation. I can walk through every loss. I can walk through every pain. I can walk through every disappointment because of Christ. 
You know what I'm talking about? And then if you want to get yourself a gratitude journal to work on your emotions, do it. I think it's fantastic. But we got to get the we 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 got to we got to make sure that we we're we're putting our stock in Christ and Him alone. Nothing else stands in the place of Christ. There's nothing. It says He look. The Bible declares that God is a jealous God of all consuming fire. He's high above our ways. He's pure. He's holy. There's nothing in His court. There's nothing that can compare. There's no tactic. There there there's no breathing technique. Come on, somebody. And I like breathing. I have to breathe all the time. I need to breathe now. It helps, it, helps, it helps regulate your central nervous system. But that's not what we're talking about for peace. We're talking about in Christ alone. Come on, somebody. In Christ alone. In Christ alone, I have the victory. Man. We have a process. We got a part to play. We have a lifestyle to go after. So we see, you know, we, we learn some stuff about God. We learn some stuff about people. We're learning some stuff about ourselves. You know what I'm talking about? So what does God want me to do now? Well, we talked, you know, there's some things that you kind of popped out, but sum, summing it up, what, what does God want me to do? Number one, reconcile our relationships. Reconcile. Now, I will say this. There's a caveat here. I know that all relationships are not reconcilable in a sense. But in all your power, reconcile relationships. Some, some, some relationships you just can't reconcile. I understand that. Reconcile your relationships through forgiveness, forbearance. The reason we were given the spiritual tool of forgiveness is because you're going to bother me. <laughs> we're going to hurt one another. Things are going to happen. That's why we need forgiveness. Reconcile our relationships. Number two, petition him for our needs. Go before God. Make it, it you, you got to go before God and just continue to petition him for your needs. And guess what? He might change your mindset. He might change your perspective through that process. Then number three, discipline our minds. Wouldn't that some of the last things he was leaving in that chapter? Look, Philippians 4.8 says this. Finally, brothers, or in conclusion, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Don't those attributes to you sound like Jesus? Sounds like Jesus to me. Commendable, just, pure, lovely, worthy of praise. Think about these things. Another translation says meditate on these things. That word think means meditate. Set your affections on. Discipline the mind. Reel the mind in and make it a habit of thinking on these things. This is something you have to work at. Doesn't come automatically at all. And it's tough. Let me just tell you that from the get-go. <clears throat> this is not like, hey, go think about Jesus. You're going to be all right. No, it's going to be... I like to say blood, sweat, and tears. It, it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be tough. It's going to take grit. It's going to take 
falling down and getting back up. It's going to take operating in doubt and realizing you need to operate in faith. It's going to take course corrections. It's going to take agreeing with God. It's going to take bending your knee and humbling yourself before God. It's going to take crying out for God to show you the way. It's going to take reading the scripture and quoting it in the face of adversity when it doesn't feel right and it doesn't feel true. It's going to take worshiping him in the midst of God's people, even when you don't feel it in your heart. It's going to take getting yourself out of bed and coming together to stir one another up in faith and good works. It's going to take that in Jesus' name. Just wanted to give you the truth. That's what it's going to take. That's why we need one another. Whatever is true, meditate on these things. Let's look at some cross-references. What else does the Bible say about that? Colossians chapter 3, verse 2 says, Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Set. Set your mind. That, that word set is, is a, it, 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 it's a, it's a, a description. It's like a picture in the Greek of, of locking in your mind. Locking in. It's like set. You know, when I was a kid, when uh, that movie Over the Top came out with Sylvester Stallone, anybody remember that? They had arm wrestling when he turned his head around, you know, he turned it. This is, I'm an old man for you guys who don't know this. Old movie. He turned his hat around, and when he turned his hat around, he was set. And he, run, he won every arm wrestling match. Might not be the greatest illustration, but, but I think when we turn our hat around and say, I'm going to agree with you, God, no matter what, we're fixed. I think you need to go ahead and go ahead. I think you need to go ahead and set yourself up right now. And say, God, no matter what this life deals me or doesn't deal me, my affections are set on you and you alone. And write it down and put it in your sock drawer and put it in your Bible and put it in your desk at home. Put it in your desk at work. Put it on your lawnmower. I don't care what you got to do. Tattoo that sucker on you. You know what I'm talking about? And some people do. I've been thinking about that lately, obviously. Set your mind on the things that are above and not on earth. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, come on, but of power, love, and a what? Self-control, or the word means a disciplined mind. So when I'm being attacked by fear, when I, have to, I have to realize I'm under attack. Once I realize I'm under attack, I've, I've realized God didn't give me a spirit of fear. He, he said, I can discipline my mind and set it on him, which, again, takes a lot of work. And you might fail for three months before you get your head out of the sand and say, dear God, I'm not going to live that way anymore. Some of you have been living that way for 10 years. And it's not living. Jesus wants to live you. Let me say this about faith and fear. Faith faces fear, everybody. Faith faces fear, and faith faces fact. Something's not right, you approach it by faith. 
It might be a fact. You might have that diagnosis. That thing might happen on the job. Your, your, your investment might not didn't go right. That, that relationship, you, 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 you did it wrong. You, you messed up. That kid's wayward. You don't know if they're going to come back home. You, right? List goes on and on and on and on and on and on. Faith faces those things, and faith trusts God in those things. And faith says, God, give me wisdom in the trial. This is a prayer you need to pray when you're in a trial because it, 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 the Bible says we're going to have trials of many kinds. But the trial is it's the testing of your faith in those trials so that, is, so, so that uh, perseverance can develop in your life. It says faith has to be tested, and it will be tested. Jesus talks about it. But it develops perseverance a steadfastness. That's why Paul says, consider it all joy when you face trials of many kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith will produce a genuine faith in you. And, and, and the most important thing is that we realize this and we begin to practice these things. You're going to have a chance to practice these things as soon as you walk out of the door. You probably had a lot of chance to practice these things on the way to church. You're going to have plenty practice time. You know what I'm talking about. We're all about to break out. We're going to go to groups. You're going to go to your job. Some of you, you know, you're, you're going to that doctor this week. Some of you, you got to go have that hard conversation with your spouse. Maybe it's your kid. I don't know. The pressure's on in this lifetime. But I can practice all those things that we just talked about. I can practice forgiveness. I can practice supplication to God. I can practice standing in faith and declaring God is, is holy and that he's righteous and he's sovereign. And by the way, when I mess up and I don't get it just right and, and, and maybe I, I, I throw a tantrum, right? Some of you have been throwing tantrums. We throw tantrums all the time in life, even as adults, right? And you're just angry and you're frustrated and you didn't say... Lord, I trust you in this, but you said everything else otherwise, but then you realize that's not the way to go. God is not condemning you. He's saying, come on, son. Come on, daughter. Let's get on up. Let's try again. I'm with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm not condemning you. I'm saving you. I'm redeeming you. I'm solidifying you. And the work that I started in you, I'm going to bring to completion. Will you bow your heads with me right now? I don't know where you're at in your walk with God. I said a lot of things today. But I know that the love of God draws all men and women alike to himself. It's the love of God that draws us to repentance. It's the love of God that shows us we're in need of him. So I don't know where you are. Maybe you're watching online right now and you realize you need a savior. The Holy Spirit's convicting you of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment to come. And you need a savior. I'm going to give you an opportunity just to respond to what God's already doing in your life. I'm going to pray a prayer, and if that's you, just agree in your heart. Just say, Lord, rescue me. 
Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I put my trust in you, Lord. I put my trust in Jesus and him alone. It says if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And only he can do that. He's the only one who can make you white as snow, pure and holy in his sight. It says as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he has removed your transgressions from you when you confess to him. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give it up for those who prayed that prayer, everybody. Yeah, man, we're excited for you. If you prayed that prayer, we have a Next Steps card right there in the seat pocket in front of you. If you're online, you can follow that link and uh, fill out that Next Steps card. Tell us what happened to you today, and we want to send you some more information about how you can be a part and how we can help you. But let's go ahead and stand to our feet. Man, what we're going to do... I don't know where you guys are today, where you found yourself in the book of Philippians. But what we want to do is we want to worship and we really want to seal what God did in your life today through worship. And, and some of you, God still wants to speak to you. God still wants to just accredit some things in your heart that he's already been speaking to you uh, before you even came into this room today. And he, and he, he highlighted it for you in the word. And so let's pray right now, and then we're going to worship and dismiss. So, Father, we've heard your word today, God. We've seen the Apostle Paul, what happened to him in prison, underneath the Roman guard, waiting execution. And by the Spirit of God, your word gives us hope that we can find peace in this lifetime, regardless of our circumstances, and that we can re rely upon you, God. Lord, we're praying right now that you begin to adjust our hearts with relationships that maybe are in disarray. God, we're praying right now that you would do a deep work in our hearts, God, so that you would get the glory. Father, we're praying that, God, as we worship you, that we would be conformed into your image. God, that as we practice worshiping you, God, we would practice submitting our lives to you. That our life would be like an altar, God, that would be pleasing to you, God. That our heart, that our mind, that our thoughts, that our lifestyle would be pleasing to you, Lord. Show us the way, God. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship.